today, uh, we're going to continue. Last week we started, uh, we're in week two of a series called The Lord Has Spoken. Um, we're looking at, at three books in the Old Testament. They're some of the lesser known prophets. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Cindy uh, began that. We're in the book of Joel. Uh, she spoke from chapter one. And today we're going to stay in Joel and we're going to dig in a little further into what Joel's message not only to the people of Israel was, uh, but, you know, the prophecies in the Old Testament are for us too, okay? And they still have application today. And, you know, what, as I read it, the fact is uh, the prophecy of Joel is completely relevant today. Uh, the issues it addresses were not only meaningful for the people at the time they were given, uh, but uh, they're equally true today. They're relevant for us. They're relevant for us uh, as a church. They're relevant to our country. Uh, you know, just like the Israelites, the people that Joel was speaking to, uh, a nation that had turned away from God, that was, that was the situation. Our country's done the same thing. Our country's in exactly the same situation and gone in the same direction. Uh, from a nation that was founded on the freedom of religion to a nation that often seems to prefer freedom from religion. If you think about it, a lot of well-known politicians, entertainers, media people, uh, even some in the church, have decided and declared and are pretty vocal about the fact that uh, some, if not all, parts of God's Word, the Bible, are outdated. Uh, and, and we hear people talking about how they're just not appropriate for today's, and I love the phrase, enlightened lifestyles. Now, let me define enlightened lifestyle for you. Enlightened lifestyle uh, typically means they don't like the teachings because those teachings don't support the sinful behaviors or lifestyles that they've chosen for themselves. So today, what we're going to see is that these preferences, though, and these decisions that come with those preferences are not trivial. They can be life-altering. They come with a price. They come with consequences. And some of those consequences can be eternal. So to help us prepare for that, to go further, let's uh, first read uh, a portion of today's scripture. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, I know you do, uh, open them up to the book of Joel. And uh, it's kind of near the back of the Old Testament. In my Bible, that's page uh, 852. You can try that if you can't find it any other way. Um, but uh, you can uh, open to Joel 2. We're going to read the first 11 verses. So if you'll uh, join with me, I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, Joel 2, verses 1 to 11. And it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry with a noise like that of chariots. They leap over the mountaintops 
like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns They climb into the houses. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful. Who can endure it? As we learned last week, this disaster Joel was speaking of was, was literally an invasion of locusts. Locusts that ate everything. They, they moved quickly. And when they were done, there was nothing left. It was total destruction, total devastation. As a nation, Israel had turned away from God. Similarly, our country has done the same thing, and the prophets had called on the people to repent. But the people hadn't listened. They didn't take the warnings seriously. So a question for us here today, it would be, why would people not repent to a prophet's warnings? Why would they? What do you think? Why would people not repent to a prophet's warnings? Disbelief, they didn't believe the prophet. Any other thought? They didn't want to change their behavior. They didn't want to change the Yeah. It you know, I think the, the really right the logical explanation besides disbelief is probably that they actually preferred their sinful lifestyles. They they actually wanted to just keep doing what they were doing. They preferred that over God's, God's ways. They chose it over God's paths. So the people didn't take the warning seriously then. And unfortunately, I believe the same is true for a lot of people today. They, they have the access. They understand God's word. They've heard it. But they just choose because they prefer the lifestyle that they have to obedience to God's word. Here's the truth about God's Word. So, uh, Proverbs 30, verse 5 says that every word of God is flawless. Every, God of, every word of God is flawless. That means it's perfect. A flawless diamond. No imperfection. It is absolutely 100% perfect. It's perfect. Okay, that also means if it's perfect then it has to be true. Or it wouldn't be perfect. So every word of God is true. It's perfect. It's flawless. And then Isaiah 55.11 promises, it's God talking, and he says, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. The words that God says, the words written in Scripture, the words spoken by God. It will not return void. It will accomplish what I desire, and it will achieve the purpose for which he was sent. What those verses mean, 
then, is just because you or I might choose not to believe something written in the Bible, which is God's holy and inspired word, that doesn't mean it's not true. And that doesn't mean we won't be held accountable for it one day. And that doesn't mean there won't be consequences that can be experienced for ignoring it. That's precisely the situation the people of Israel were facing. The attack of the locusts were the result of ignoring the prophet's warning to leave their sinful lifestyles and their behavior to the worship of the one true God. It's an interesting note concerning the locusts. Um, when, we show, when we choose to turn away from God and ignore his laws, his precepts, his wisdom, think about it. We not only become blinded and foolish because of the sin that we've allowed into our lives, but we remove ourselves. We remove ourselves out from under God's hand of protection. We become easy prey for the enemy's attack. Just the same way they became easy prey for the locusts. And the results of that can be seen in verse 9 when we read it. Verse 9 said that the locusts, it says they, the locusts, rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the, win the windows. I mean, if you think, let's put that in practical terms. The locusts blew into the city. There was no defense. There was nothing that could stop them, not even slow them down. Now, I realize that, you know, some of us today uh, might be sitting comfortably thinking, well, I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm not like those people back then. Uh, I'm not living in sin, and I'm, you know, I'm not a murderer, and I don't have idols set up in my home that I'm worshiping. Uh, you know, so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a must be for me. But let me just give you one example. I think we also need to realize that, that these, these types of things I've just spoken about are like the real obvious kind of stuff. Okay, it's kind of easy to see. It's kind of easy to understand the problem. I might offer to you that it may be that one of the greatest failings within the church today may well be the sin of indifference. Indifference. We don't normally think of that, do we? But it may be the sin of indifference. Just think about this. Every day, people die without knowing Jesus. Do we care? Every day, Satan tears another family apart. But do we care? Every day, violence tears through some community somewhere. Do, do we care? Do we care? And we've talked about prayer lately. Every day. We have an opportunity to use the single most powerful weapon for change, for healing and restoration that was ever created, and that's prayer. But often do we don't. Often we don't. Do we care? Don't we care? The results are really clear. Just like the Israelites who now lived in a land ravaged by the destruction of locusts, we live in a land that's also torn by division, intolerance, anger, and destruction. We can get pretty frustrated. We can get pretty, up. We can get pretty worried. We can become feeling kind of depressed if we're not careful because we look around at what's going on. 
We see lives destroyed by sinful lifestyles and drugs, families torn apart. We see threats coming from all kinds of directions. And I don't mean to be, I want to encourage you here in a moment, okay? But we do need to understand that it can still get worse. It can still get worse. This is, this is, this is real talk. So just like the Israelites, we as a nation, we as a church, we're at a crossroads. We can continue to ignore the words of the prophet. We can, you know, continue to pretend that word, God's word doesn't apply to us today. Or we can accept God's discipline as a call to, re- to repentance and obedience. We can call, accept God's word as a call. So the question is, will we acknowledge God for who he is, the one true God, and seek to get right with him. So let's read the next portion of Joel uh, chapter 2 and see what we need to do in order to get right with God. So let's read Joel 2, verses 12 through 27. Joel 2, starting in verse 12 through 27. And it says, So even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet, Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders and gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain and new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again I will drive the from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown in the Dead Sea, its western ranks in the Mediterranean Sea, and its stench will go up. Its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals. Green. The trees are bearing their He has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locust and the young locust, the other locusts, and the locust swarm. My great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you 
Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel. I am the Lord your God and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. So the first thing we see in the scripture that we need to do in order to get right with God is return to God. First thing, return to God. Verse 12 said, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. You know, before people fall away from God outwardly, how in ways that everybody can see, first, you fall away inwardly. We fall away inwardly. For those of us that are, that, that have, are a part of faith, we, you stop reading God's word. We, we stop praying. We stop being a part of the fellowship of a church. And we stop fellowshipping with other, uh, other followers of Jesus. And usually a step forward is we start hanging out with folks that tend to pull us even further away from God. So when the Israelites decided that it was time that they wanted to turn back to God, they were said, God said, fast and pray. In verse 15, he said, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. You need to get back to church. You need to, you need to fast and you need to spend time in prayer. In verse 17, it tells us how they prayed. They came before God and they cried out, Lord, spare your people. Don't allow us to become an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. And, and what I really found interesting there is that it wasn't supposed, this wasn't just a job that had been given to the priests. This wasn't just something that today we would say, well, that's just, that's just for the pastors or the leadership of the church to pray for change in the nation. If you remember what it said, it said that not only were the elders called in to fast and pray, but even right down to the youngest children. It's everyone. Everyone was called to come and participate in this time and fast and pray. Sometimes we like other people to pray for us. We want other people to fast and pray. We like it when we hear that that's going on for the needs of the nation or the needs in the church or the needs in our families. But we just don't always want to make that sacrifice ourselves. We don't, we don't always think we have time or we come up with reasons why, oh, well, I, you know, they can fast, but why should I? Look, getting right with God, sometimes this whole thing of returning to God, God is calling us to fast and pray, just like he was the nation of Israel. So part of returning to God, or turning to him for the first time, means turning away from these beliefs and actions that go against God's word. That are, you know, when we start to move away from God's word, what we start to fall prey to, what, what the enemy starts feeding us, are, are lies and traps that will draw us further away. And he will make it look really good. He, people don't run away from God for something that looks bad. They wouldn't do that. People run away from God for things that the enemy has made to look better than what, what they're called to do. But by returning to God, by not allowing this to happen, returning to these things, we return to God and what happens is he builds us up spiritually. God's word builds us up. It gives us direction for living. And you know, today with COVID, 
in the months we've all spent in isolation and, and with the changes, you know what one of the most wonderful things returning to God will provide you with? Hope. Hope. There are a lot of people today, I hear this probably more than any single other thing, is that people are living without hope. You're not going to find hope in a vaccine. You're not going to find hope in a presidential election, no matter who wins. Hope is within your heart. It can only come from God. It'll also give you direction for living. We were talking earlier today about some of the things we pray for is, God, show me what to do. Well, yeah, if you don't turn to God, who knows the beginning from the end, who's going to help you know what to do? I mean, your best friends will give you their opinions, but that may not be God's plan. And what all of us want in our lives, I believe, is we really want to know God's plan so that the things that happen, because just because it's God's plan doesn't always mean it's going to be easy. And so sometimes when the things we're doing get hard, the only reason we continue, the only reason we persevere is if we truly believe that those plans are God's plans, then it's worth the effort. It's worth hanging in there. It's worth staying there. Otherwise, what do we do? We bounce around. We go from one thing to another because it all sounds good, but we don't know which one's God. Hope. Hope will be released into your life when you return to God. A lot of us, you may know the verse, I love it, it's Psalm 119, 105, 119th Psalm, 105th verse, it says, your word, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I'm so thankful there's been so many times in my life when I didn't know what to do, but I could go to And I, and I want to encourage, I, for those of you that might be watching, and you might not be, you might not like read the Bible a lot. And you might say, well, I don't even know where to start. Can I just give you some encouragement? Don't worry about it. Because here's the truth. God's word, God says of his word in Hebrews that it's living and active. God's word is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. But listen, here's the part. It's living and active. You know what? Sometimes need some encouragement, if you need some direction for your life, I just want to encourage you, until you know better, until you know something different, just go and open scripture somewhere and start reading. I think you might be amazed as we just lead you to a verse that will apply, but I guarantee you this, even if you're reading some passage of scripture that doesn't seem to have anything to do with the issue you're facing, because God's word is living and active. The act of being in his word, wisdom will come into your heart. Peace will enter your spirit. I, I want to encourage you, go to God's word. It makes a difference and it will change your life. Reading and knowing God's word and time in prayer are critical components of not only returning to God, but of filling your life with hope. God wanted his people to understand in this time that when the prophet spoke, he said, rend, remember he said, don't just rend your, don't tear your garments, but tear, rend your heart. What God wants us to understand is that, that he didn't want just an outward show. 
You know, you know, sometimes, look, there's a lot of folks in our lives, and you know this, there's people you know, like everything looks good. They got the right clothes, they got the right hair, they got hair, you know. Uh, they got the right hair, they, got the, they drive the right car, they live in the right neighborhood, everything looks good. That doesn't tell you anything about what's going on in their heart. That doesn't tell you anything about what's going on in their heart. And it's the same idea here. God was saying, look, a lot of you people know how to look good, okay? You know how to, you, you know how to like fake come back to God. You know how to like, oh, I'll rip my clothes and I'll show that I'm really, I'm really returning to God. And that's not important to me. Don't, I don't need a show. What I want is I want to see your heart. I want to see your heart change. God's not impressed. He's not moved by just these outward shows of change. God's only moved by a sincere, heartfelt remorse, by true change of heart. That's called repentance. That's what is called repentance. Repent means to make a dramatic turn from one way to another. That may mean, as, as our worship leader said, that may mean walking, having to allow some friends to go and you go a different way. That may not mean going everywhere you used to go. That may mean having to change some things that you do, some ways you feel. It may change the movies you see, the books you read, the people you hang out with. Whatever God leads you to do, but if we want to see change, change means change. You, you know, if I want to see a change in my health, I actually have to do some change. I, I can't just keep eating and sitting on the sofa and, you know, and eating ice cream all the time. I, I mean, and expe- right? And so spiritually, if I want my life, if my life is torn up, if my life is a mess, if I have no hope, if I don't know what to do, uh, how the world is going to go going forward, I can't just stay where I am doing what I do because that, look, that, that's been yielding what I've got. I've got to make a change. And what God is saying, come back, return to me. Return to me. Here's the one other hard thing, that, but it's true, so I have to say. God calls us to repent. But here's the truth. If repentance doesn't follow sin, then judgment will. When we do repent, the full weight of God's judgment may be restrained or averted. We read that in the scriptures. Natural consequences may still follow. However, our relationship with God is restored. We have access to God. Again, he hears our prayers. His, his, he starts pouring out blessing on us. So in order to get right with God, what we've really got to understand is our first step is to return to God. Second thing we need to do is receive his forgiveness. Is actually receive it. Verse 18 and 19. Verse 18 told us, tells us that when the people turn to him in repentance, he didn't criticize them. He didn't say, well, how come it took you so long? He sa- it says he took pity on his people. 
Verse 19, he said that he was going to send them grain and new wine and olive oil, enough to truly to satisfy you fully. Remember, they had just lost all their food. The locusts had come through and eaten everything. There was nothing. And now he's saying, I'm going to give it all back. You're going to have it. God, out of his love for his people, responds to their returning to him in repentance and promises not only to spare them, but to restore what the enemy had stolen, what the locusts had destroyed. Verse 25, he says, I'm going to repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Question, why is it so hard for us, for some people, to receive God's forgiveness? Why do you think it's so hard? We think we don't deserve it. That's a great answer. Anybody else? Any other thought? Yeah, I think a lot of times the hardest thing we do is to forgive ourselves. We have a hard, I think we have a, God's ready to forgive us. God's wanting to forgive us. We just got to let him by coming to him. You know, God loves you and me today just as much as he loved the Israelites back then. He's, He's overjoyed when we come to him and repent of our sinful lifestyles and actions, and we ask him for restoration and for forgiveness. There is no better confirmation of that than in the New Testament, the parable, the parable that a lot of us may have known, it's called the, called the prodigal son or the lost son, okay? Uh, it's such a great picture. It's a perfect picture of the love that God has for us, even when we've strayed away. I want to share just a bit of that with you this morning. Now look, a lot of people might know the story. I want to tell a little of it uh, for those of you watching as well. Uh, But the story kind of starts out like this. It's a a young man uh, who uh, goes to his dad and he says, you know, dad, now dad, you're still alive, right? But I want my inheritance now. I I want the cut that's going to come to me. I mean, just to be an honest, you know, going to come to me. I want it now, okay, because I want to go uh, live differently. And so his dad gives him his share. He gives him the cut, gives him his inheritance, and the young man, he takes it, he leaves home, he moves away, and over a period of time, he loses his entire inheritance partying with people who the only reason they came and partied with him was because he had money to spend. That's the only reason. So as long as he had money, it, was, it all seemed like it was good. But the minute the money was gone, so were all the friends. And he was left alone. And he was left alone with nowhere to live and with no food to eat. And so I guess we could maybe all agree that in today's language, we would say that's a person now who is at the lowest point of their life just about in trouble. So now with that background, Luke 15, we're going to pick up at Luke 15, and we're going to read just a few verses, Luke 15, 17 to 24. So from this lowest point in his life, in verse 17 it says, but when he came to his senses, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out, and I will go back to my father, 
and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just, just make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his dad said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. I've just always loved that verse in verse 20 where it says, but while he was still a long way off, his dad saw him and was filled with compassion and ran to him. Look, that's the picture of God's love for you. That's it. And for me, even on our worst day, even when we are still a long way off from God, He's waiting for us. He's watching us. He's watching for us. And the instant, the instant, the moment that we make the decision, turn back to Him. He doesn't criticize us. He didn't remind us of all the mistakes we made and the bad decisions and the things we did wrong. It says right here, He runs to us and He throws His arms around us. I want to make sure that everyone that is hearing me right now, I just want you to, if you only get one, I want you to understand one thing really clearly. Repentance isn't lining up for a scolding. Repentance isn't lining up to get a lecture. I think a lot of people think it is, and that's why it's difficult for some people to repent. Because they think, because in our world, that's how we treat each other. The way we treat each other is when somebody gets up the courage to come and say, I did something wrong and I'm sorry, they usually get a lecture. And so we just figure, well, God must be the same way. I'm, I'm thankful God's not that way. I'm so thankful. When we repent, what we're doing, think about it, what we're doing is we're positioning ourselves, you're positioning yourself to be lovingly embraced by God, to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be restored, and to be brought back into the family. This guy had been feeding hogs when he came back he wasn't smelling good. He wasn't looking good. But the father took one of his expensive robes and, and put it on the stinky, dirty kid. He didn't say, go get cleaned up and when you got your life back together, we'll let you back in the house. He put one of his best robes on him, put a ring off of his hand on his son's finger and said, come on in, let's have a feast. Because you're back. And God will receive you the same way. He will receive you the same way. Just imagine. Just think about this. 
Just imagine what God might do if you and I as individuals are collectively as a church or a nation would fully turn to God, would repent of the things in our lives that we've put ahead of God. What do you think some of the things are that God might restore into our lives? What do you think? Peace, unity, relation. Think of the broken relationships that right now no one can imagine that they could be restored, but they could be restored if the hand of God touched them and changed hearts. Just think of the things that could be restored. To get right with God, turn to God in repentance, receive His forgiveness and restoration. Okay, one last thing. Let's read the final bit of our passage for today in Joel 2. That's verses 28 through 32. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Third thing in getting right with God is to accept the outpouring of His Holy Spirit. God had restored their fields and crops, and in the same way that when any of us returns to God in repentance, He heals and restores us. But now God was going to bring about a change in the hearts of His people, not through laws, but through an outpouring of His Spirit. This was going to be something brand new. Joel was saying that a day was coming when people wouldn't have to go to a prophet or a priest to understand God's Word. That, that those who were economically advantaged would no longer be spiritually advantaged since, since all his servants would have access to receive God's spirit of revelation and power. Everyone would have access to God's plans and revelations. Wisdom would no longer be an exclusive privilege of older people. Young people, it says, were going to start to experience dreams and visions from God. Verses 28 and 29 said that women would no longer be excluded from being used by God since, God since sons and daughters would both receive God's visions. For then, and frankly for now, in a lot of places, this is revolutionary stuff. Even for us today. So the third step is available to you and me today. It provides the power for you and me to be able to resist the lies of the enemy, to not be overcome by all the tempting things that the world offers us and wants to use us, use to, uh, uh, you know, us to put ahead of serving God. But here's the thing. We do have to want it. We do have to want it. So the final step to get right with God after we've returned to Him and repented of falling away and then we've received His forgiveness and healing is for us to allow Him to fill us with His Spirit. So that we're going to have the power 
to resist the enemy's lies, the temptations that'll try to drag us back into the pit we just came out of. Look, Joel, the book of Joel, that we've been studying now for the last two weeks, there's, there's one way you can read it, and it can be seen as a book of uh, coming judgment. But it's also a book of hope. It's also a book of hope. And verse 32 solidifies that hope when it said, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. doesn't say can be, might be, if you're from the right part of town or if you grew up somewhere or you got the right. Do you understand? There's no qualification. It says that everybody, all who call on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Today, I want to invite you to take that first step in getting right with God. Why don't those of you who are here, and you can, you want to stand with me as we get ready to close. For those of you that are watching online, uh, you, can make, you can make some decisions too today. You can make some choices. Uh, today I want to invite you to, to take that first step in getting right with God, to return to God, maybe for the first time in sincere repentance. You can ask God to help you change the direction of your life. You can begin to live for Him by becoming a follower of Jesus. You may have never made that first step to becoming getting right with God by becoming a follower of Jesus. And if today you say, well, I want to make that decision because I want my life to be filled with hope. I, I want to see change that I can't, I can't get it done any other way. And today you would want to make that decision. Just right where you are, you can just make that decision. You can hold up your hand and say, yep, that's me. I want to make that decision today. Some of us may have taken that first step, but we've never really received the forgiveness. We've never really allowed. Uh, we're still having trouble forgiving ourselves. And we've never really allowed his forgiveness to enter our hearts and allowed his healing and restoration process to begin. So today, if that's you, if today you'd say, you know what, I, I need to allow God to pour his healing and restoration into my life. And I want to receive it. And I want to allow that healing and restoration process to begin in my life. You can just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. That's me. Okay. Amen. Finally, you may have heard about the Holy Spirit, but maybe you thought it wasn't something you wanted. Uh, maybe because the way you heard about it made it sound strange. But it's not. It's not strange at all. In fact, it's really normal and practical. It's very normal and practical. Uh, the Holy Spirit is just a gift from God that empowers us to resist sin and to be able to live in step with the Spirit of God. And so today, if you'd say, well, man, that sounds good. I mean, I, look, here's, here's a great way to ask for the Holy Spirit. Just say, and because I understand some people have got a really wrong impression of that. And you thought, well, that's not right. Well, here's the way you ask for it. Lord, I want all that you have for me. And so if there's your Holy Spirit is something you want me to have, I Because you, God would never give you something bad for you. He would only give you things that are good for you. And so today, if you've never just said that, Lord, today, 
We just ask you, Father, to fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, if it's from you, I want it. And Lord, in fact, I want everything you have for me. You can just pray that. And so, Father, today, we thank you for this opportunity we've had to study your word, to look in Joel and understand, Father, that it's a book that challenges, but Lord, it's, it's challenging us to come back to you. Challenging us to allow you to touch our hearts and bless us and make us more like you. And so, Lord, today we receive that. And we thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your forgiveness, restoration, and hope. And Lord, now I just pray that everyone that has asked you today to fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would just flood them. Flood them, Lord, with your love, your peace, and hope. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. I want to thank you for being with us today. God bless you.